This is Coda Radio, episode 538 for October 3rd, 2023. Hey friend, welcome back to Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and hopefully, fully caffeinated, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. I am brewed up to a beautiful, beautiful darkish brown with just a little bit of a silky smooth top. Mm. Man, you see, just you can't wax on about a Red Bull like that. No, <laughs> no, you can't. No, there's there's no there's no ritual to the Red Bull. There's no nuance to the Red Bull. You got well, you got sugar Red Bull and you got sugar free Red Bull, right? That's the, about as much nuance as it gets. It's it's been a minute, Mr. Dominic, since we've done a little coffee radio. So to get us in the mood, I went a little further than I normally do, and I hired a band and I brought them in and I got them all mic'd. We got ourselves a piano jazz band for a little coffee radio talk here on the show. Ooh. So we have not done coffee radio in a while. Um, and my coffee routine has changed. I still occasionally like to burn myself with the AeroPress. Um, it's just, I know people swear by it. It is a device that I am not capable of using in an efficient and non-harmful way. Much like a Max and any kind of adult beverage. Have you actually burned yourself with the AeroPress? I've gotten close. I've burned the out of myself. Oh, really? Know? Like, not like you go to the hospital, but I just, I can never get, or, you know, sometimes I err on, like, trying to not burn myself and then I don't put enough grounds in. It's... I, I want to love it, and I want to be like an AeroPress guy, but I just the amount of wasted coffee and, uh, frankly, uh, camel, what is it, uh, calamine lotion I have to use is it's too high. You're happy with the taste, but not the process. I'm happy with the taste, not the wounds. <clears throat> Fair enough, yeah. So I have switched. Of course, I have a Keurig machine like a heathen that I give to, you know, wayward homeless lepers that I see on the street. Uh, I have a Breville Barista Express. Oh my goodness. Espresso and can froth your milk in a way you would. Ooh. Frankly, we couldn't. We would be demonetized on YouTube if I showed you 1 900 frothed milk. Now, owning a Breville machine, a kitchen Breville device myself, these are, these are serious devices. They don't, uh, mm -hmm. they don't mess around with the Breville's. I spent quite a lot of time watching YouTube videos on <laughs> how to calibrate one's Breville because it turns out, uh, you know, if the Keurig is on the like easy mode side of the spectrum, yeah, uh, the Breville is uh, not. And there are many options and strong opinions out there. So I'm curious, which Breville do you have? Create a third wave of special cacophony at home from bean to espresso in less than a minute. Um, I th no, ours is like a toaster oven, or it's it's a, not a coffee device. It's not one of the coffee machines. Yes. So I have taken to, of course, espresso with just a, a luxurious, moderate slice of lime. I'm sorry, lemon on Ooh, the rim. Really? With my little espresso taza cups, my little plates. Oh, yes. Tiny spoons. I am. I, I honestly, every morning, I'm basically in Naples. And I'm just like, and my coat or robe, of course. With my espresso, va bene, como se va, ciao. Part of that was French, but that's okay. I even have a locally sourced kind of coffee that I'm using. Oh. Because they sell espresso beans, Bones Coffee, out of somewhere in Swampland, Florida. It is glorious. 
Uh, they have flavored coffee for the guests and the wife and the kid. Not the kids. Although, why not? But their espresso beans are that dark roast. But not that Starbucks hates you and wants you to poop dark. That <laughs> is all of Starbucks coffee. Yeah. Yeah. It's just glorious. You can do it as an espresso. I've been doing, actually, I've been using... So, this is my uber hipsterness. I have a, a kettle, one of the British-style tea kettles, the electric ones. So, I boil the water in the tea kettle. I make the cup of espresso in a coffee cup, and I put the hot water in to make a cafe americano. Very luxurious. You're telling me this Breville can't make hot water for you? I have yet to discover that functionality, okay. and I'm very afraid to touch any of the buttons other than the very... I have it preset every morning, man. I don't touch this thing. I tried the <laughs> froth milk and almost, like, steamed my face off. That's amazing. Okay. I have been thinking with, you know, the weather changing and whatnot that I should get back into the coffee habit because the cold, sugar-free energy drinks, just not doing it for me anymore, mm. you know? That's, I feel like I've reached that that as far as it's going to go. Uh, Rapid Mustang in the chat room says he has the same machine and he also came from the AeroPress. Really? Yeah. Sm- yeah maybe you're onto something. Yeah, so the AeroPress seems like such a good idea. And, uh, you know, I know that I have like the OG AeroPress and to their credit, it like, cracked once and they replaced it. No charge. I, I feel like there has to be like a safer unless this is user error, which fine, maybe it is. Uh, it it has a distinct taste. I feel. I don't know if everybody else feels that way, but the so my default if people come over, other than just perked perked pot of coffee, if I'm feeling lazy, because you know that's that's so you're at the auto mechanics weight room, right? Perked coffee, please. Uh, a nice French press. You get a good flavor. It's not a ton of money. They're very cheap, and you can get them in different sizes depending on your needs, but. It's one of those like things that seems fancy to people who don't know it, but it's actually super easy and super affordable. So yeah, it's good to show off. Uh, you know, you got a date, or whatever, mm. mother in laws, yeah, family coming over, yeah, yeah. It is yeah. that is a nice idea. I want uh, I want some tips on something between the AeroPress and something between the Breville because I have. Like I think you just did. I kind of start with something. I'm like, okay, I like this idea. Let's get the best implementation possible. (laughs) But I don't know if I want to go right to that yet. There you go. little coffee radio for you. There you go. And let us know your favorite coffees and coffee-making paraphernalia. Yeah, definitely. Now, we got an email into the show that was really saying the snake is no escape. (laughs) There is packaging problems everywhere, and it was specifically replying to a boost that was pretty pretty negative on the Python packaging system, really was kind of negative on the whole thing. And I know you got a chance to read it this morning. Yeah, um, it's a fair point, right? All these packaging systems kind of suck. Uh, you know, I made some comments about the Rails system, the RubyGem system, rather. I kind of like the way Python handles the uh, virtual environments. With that said, that's also not the only option in Python. There are other solutions that you can use. Um, off the top of my head, I think one's called Poetry? That might be wrong. You know, Rust has cargo, and none of them are perfect, right? If if you've ever used Linux, you'll find <laughs> you'll find that packaging is a uh, hmm, hot topic. So I would say the key is to, and I and I think the uh, the writer uh, kind of made this point. They all have their quirks, and if you're going to be a professional in specific languages, you just have to go with the flow. The one thing I will say in, in favor of a virtual, Ven, right, virtual environment for Python is I've heard all the criticisms. It's fine. But it is the de facto default, right? If you look at like anybody's like myblog.com 
Python tutorial, they're almost certainly using that instead of, uh, you know, one of the more, uh, you know, newer esoteric solutions. So yeah, you know, different strokes for different folks. I am sorry, writer, that I condensed your six-page email. It's just a little long <laughs> to read on the air, but uh, yeah. It's a good point. I mean, I, he raises a good point that they all do kind of suck, and you make a fair point about Linux packaging. It's kind of all over the place, and it's something that's really grinded my gears the last few years. It's just not a fully solved problem. Uh, and I could sit here and go on about Nix and why I think it's so great, but the reality is is that the market is deployed with a lot of traditional package management systems. Now, I think one thing Python has going for it, Mike, and you kind of implied this, is if you run into trouble, there's a huge community of support there. So there's a lot of resources. You will run into trouble, but there's also a lot of resources. Yeah, that, well, that's the trade-off you make, right? There might be advantages to some of the newer, kind of less-used solutions, uh, but you're, you know, you're, you're alone, right? Alderon.games slash coder. Alderon Games is looking to hire talented remote workers. And I love this story because Matt, the lead over there, was originally and still does listen to the coder program. He started listening about a decade ago when he was working his nine to five. Somehow, <laughs> after listening to Mike and I go on and complain and complain endlessly, we inspired him to set off and do his own thing. And he did it the right way in kind of the spirit of Jupiter Broadcasting. I find some kinship here. He, he has no studio above him and he has no publisher that he has to answer to. You know, typically that's like you got the dev shop, you got the publisher, you got the studio. They all have different incentives and demands. But an Alderaan Games model, they do it all. They're the independent publisher and they don't have to nickel and dime the player. So Alderaan can focus on the content and they don't have to nickel and dime the players. I feel a lot of kinship there with – uh, you know, similarities in how we do podcasting. And now here we are, years later, and Matt over there, he's looking to hire. And it is tricky when you're an independent shop to find good people. And he realized, and I agree, the Coda Radio audience is a great place to reach out. Because if you're listening to this show, you're probably a quick learner, you're probably into technology, and they have multiple remote positions that are well compensated. They got a back-end PHP position, a Node.js developer position. Yes, it's yes, it's very popular. Two different Unreal positions, including a senior Unreal game developer. There's some QA testing positions, a gameplay security engineer. And then really additionally, if you've got a good skill set, you look at what they're doing and think you might be a match, you might want to apply because there's a lot they're working on. And they're also trying to publish for the Linux platform. So they could use some Linux QA folks, some expertise there when they run into little edge cases. So here's what I would do because I think this is a great opportunity for the audience. And if you're looking for remote work, go brush up your GitHub profile. And then visit alderon.games slash coder. And I'll put a link in the show notes. And then you're going to get like not just a toe in the door, but you're going to get like your foot in the door because you came from the Coder Radio program. And that is a good sign that you're a smart feller or fellette. Alderon.games slash coder. Now, you brought up a good question this week in our private chat. And you asked, how does your first major professional programming language, like you really, the one you cut your teeth on, or maybe the technology platform you use, how does that long-term continue to impact your work, your career choices, all those sort of things, like the overall picture? Um, and I think, you know, you, you probably have a few thoughts on this one. So you, you brought this up and I said, yes, let's talk about this in the show. <laughs> let's, let's, let's save it for the show. Yeah, it's interesting, right? I, I think it's certainly uh... – true that those original habits you pick up kind of styles can follow you right not that you follow them religiously but certainly i find myself uh you know from my real deep objective c days uh 
doing things like writing method names that are basically a sentence, right? <laughs> Preferring named parameters over, um, over you know, just using positional ones when possible. Uh, just the general style of how Coco implements, or I should say structures, an API or a framework, I tend to still follow. I actually had a, uh, a pretty, pretty funny... Uh, interaction this morning, uh, ironically doing a contract work for Alderaan, where I'm working with a bunch of C++ Unreal developers and I'm doing Objective-C. And I'm. Tr- it turns out that just like the Unreal C++ conventions are different from the Apple Objective-C ones. And so we're trying to figure out, okay, so what do we do here? Right, I mean, it's not a big deal, but it's just, it's it's just like a, almost like the languages are compatible, right? Like literally, there's Objective C plus plus unless you just commingle them. But the I guess culture of the different style, right, of like Unreal C plus plus is wildly different the two, even mm. like Apple C plus <laughs> plus. Of course. So, what do you mean? Of course. <laughs> yeah. Why am I just not shocked? I'm just. For some reason- I mean, like part of it is like it builds character, right? Like. I feel like people who started in, you know, better languages like Objective-C are like people who've been doing, you know, yoga and meditation for 20 years. It's uh, It just builds a spiritual toughness in you that you can't find anywhere else, really. And that's why you're all wrong about Objective-C. Right. And thank you for attending my TED Talk. Yes. All right. Well, good conclusion. <laughs> I mean, do you feel like uh, this... Uh this early Objective-C influence does sort of – is not a disadvantage, but it sort of sets you, I don't know, down a different path initially? Like, do you, do you think it is sort of in some ways a disadvantage, maybe for lack of a better term, in, you know, now, in 2023? I, I don't, actually. I think it's quite the opposite because Objective-C is really – or was at the time, right, a relatively small language where you didn't have a lot of fancy whiz-bang stuff, especially when I started with it that you had to kind of know how things work, like traditional C blocks. You had to be able to just, you know, Lego up, Voltron up, very simple tools that the language gives you to make complex solutions, right? Now, I mean, I you know, I look at things like TypeScript today, which is, you know, like a language that even the kids are learning. But compared to what Objective-C was at the time, putting the amount of just tools they have in that toolbox, it's wild to me. Right, the amount of patterns they can do uh, that are like built in, not just like patterns you do. Yeah, I, I guess the maybe the big ding against my Objective C love would be at the time it was manual memory management. But I kind of think that's a good thing to know, right? To know how to do oh, reference yeah. counting. And yeah, like what is an auto release pool? What is a strong reference versus a weak reference, right? What is. You know, a, a point like pointers. You had to know pointers, right? It, it's I, I here's where I'm coming from because maybe you're. I guess you're sort of fortunate then that it was Objective C because, like, I have a scenario where when I was very early in like actually taking technology courses, it was heavily, heavily influenced by a corporation that had an incentive to create a bunch of workers that were specialized in their platform. And as a young student, I didn't even realize it was happening because the institution had the deals with Microsoft. And so they were shaping Mm -hmm. the courseware, everything, even the way networking was described was from a Microsoft standpoint. 
And then when Ugh. I got out into the real world, I realized, man, there's like these netware servers out here and there's these Unix boxes and these System 390s that I'm working with. And yeah, there's Windows as well, but it's not a Microsoft world. And it, it felt to me like I'd kind of been hoodwinked. I'd been sold propaganda through schooling. Well, and I felt like it wasn't like – it was useful because I totally had a – I had a, I was certified in the Microsoft system. You know, I understood how it worked well and that was a useful skill set. At the same time, it, it didn't like it didn't serve me in what I ended up ultimately doing, and I felt like, and that's a scenario where the starting point wasn't necessarily a really great one. Like you could start maybe like you were saying TypeScript. Maybe you start at a place where you don't learn some of those fundamentals. I had to go back and and kind of learn the industry version of networking, not the NetBuoy focused Win Wins version of a Windows network. I don't even know what the hell that is. Jesus. The Windows Internet Naming Service was this internal LAN resolution service so you could resolve NetBuoy names over IP. Oh, God. See, stuff I just didn't need to learn. But that, I, you know. You know, that, that does remind me, though, right? We talk about boot camps a lot. That is, I think, a very fair primary criticism I have of boot camps that they're just teaching. I mean, I remember what? What was it? Like three, four years ago? All the boot camps were like Node.js or Ruby on Rails, right? And then... They just like rotate through the fads, right? They're all React now. Or, I mean, a lot of them are out of business now, but many of them are still React. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, well, that's great. And I, I would never begrudge somebody going to a boot camp, especially, yeah, to get that first job. But you have to understand, just like, you know, there's an episode of me being pissed off about Swift, right? Your cheese is going to get moved. And you, you have to be a developer who can work with multiple languages and frameworks. Maybe not simultaneously, but certainly, you know, if you've been doing it, for a long time, probably things cycle every five years, right? And I've already gone through two of those cycles. And I can tell you, I could never have imagined in the beginning doing some of the projects I've done that I've done successfully. Like it never would have occurred to me that, you know, just asynchronous Python would be something that, that I do a lot of. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um, it never would have occurred to me that I would be doing C Unreal Engine work. Uh, co- you know, mixing it in with Objective C. I mean, that's maybe closer to what I started with. It's I never saw React, or I, mean, I don't do React. I never saw Angular coming, right? Who who back then would have thought that thought of those things? Then um, these boot camps, one some of the times they're just bad. But even in the success cases, yeah, you need to know. You know what? Maybe I am an old man because I'm. I keep harping back to the and you know my. I'm joking, obviously, about saying you have you know, Objective C is the best. But like you would get the same type of fundamental education if you just did C or C plus plus, or um, really any. I mean, Rust is will BDSM you into goddamn borrow checking hell. Although Rust is weird, right? It's different than kind of the C family languages, but inappropriate. <laughs> don't don't the crab people are very kinky with their borrow checking. Maybe it is bad, right? For for these kids to come out and like they go to university and all they're learning is TypeScript and Python. Maybe that, that is a disservice. I kind of used to be more, but the, when I talk it out, kind of arguing against myself, it it does seem like there's going to come a point where they're going to want to do something lower level, uh, as in closer to the hardware, and they're going to be SOL, yeah. right? Where they're going to have to learn a lot on the fly. Well, you might remember that uh, I worked on the inside of two large online training platforms, and uh, they offered all kinds of course material. 
But by far and away, the most popular stuff were the cloud certifications. You know, so you'd learn how to do something on the AWS platform using their tools and, and, and their nomenclature. And then you get certified in that. And then you go get a job. And this was a thing during the boom. This is why these companies were making good money for two, two primary use cases that I observed. One, somebody wants to skill up and specifically get a certain types of, you know, cert path. And then they tend to go, they would, during the boom, they would just get that cert path and then get a job. It was incredible. Or the other use case I saw was, and this was probably maybe the majority, businesses were buying bulk subscriptions to train up their staff to the next platform. But even there, it was the cloud stuff that was really the most popular. And people weren't taking TCPIP basics. They weren't taking C++ fundamentals. They were taking, you know, how to build and write applications on AWS and deploy. And then you get a certification, you go get a job, and your entire – and I know there's probably – please boost in. There's probably somebody listening right now. This is their job. Is Their entire job is orchestrating AWS, and they don't ever really have to touch any of the fundamentals underneath that. And these, you know, these are what these platforms are, you know, making we're, – we're making good money doing. It's all abstract. It's all abstract. I mean, there's certainly there is a very good argument for chasing the hotness, right? And I, can, you know, I do that all the time. But you have to understand, I think, kind of the fundamental concepts, so you don't get. I mean, we have a real world example of this, right? All the poor ActionScript folks, right? The Adobe Flash, Adobe Air, which I realize we probably have people young enough who have no idea what the hell I'm talking about right now. It's a technology that Steve Jobs effectively shot in the back of the head with the iPhone. <laughs> uh, but they they had to scramble, right? And you know what the the side effect of that was? A lot of those very design-oriented, front-end kind of folks ended up just going into H- what we used to call HTML5, which is now just the web, right? And we got just a stupid amount of JavaScript frameworks. But some of them are good. And a real i mean that what would you say chris that like four-year period when flash just died the css tooling the javascript tooling just skyrocketed i I feel yeah it felt like every week we could come on the air and talk about a new one right or like they would the browser vendors would build in some you know whiz bang animation that used to be a pain in the butt to do in javascript and it's now like a two-flag css call right yeah yeah Tailscale.com slash coder. Head on over there to get a free personal account for up to 100 devices, and it's a great way to support the show. Tailscale is a simple, secure network for a team of any scale, an individual or an enterprise, and it's built on top of WireGuard. One of my favorite aspects is it's essentially zero config. If you got like five devices, you can get Tailscale up and going in like three minutes. It lets you easily access your machines across a flat mesh network, all protected by the noise protocol. And Tailscale is perfect for software developers who need to set up some ad hoc networking. You don't want to mess with firewalls or subnets. And yes, it'll even work through those dreaded double NAT carrier systems. I mean, I have struggled with those over the years. But Tailscale manages all of it. And there's a lot of nice tooling like Tailscale Send. It's kind of like AirDrop, but for all your devices. So I can send from a Linux box on my you know, my desktop to a Mac or from a Mac to a VPS. It's, it's really great. And Tailscale themselves is really pushing forward. Partnerships that just improve the service and features as well. And their most recent tweet kind of sums it up. They say, Our recent release includes two big upgrades on how you do remote networking. Now you can access the internet, quote, from home, no matter where you go, or you can get a connection from anywhere in the world right in your living room. And that pretty much sums it up. They've got a new partnership with Mulvad. 
They've got new options, including Apple TV OS support now. It's it's just really incredible how easy it is to snap in with your existing workflow, like VS Code or put it on a VPS and put it on a VM. And then, like, for me, it, it ends up, like, the family solution as well. So I have, I have a tailnet for work and I have a personal tailnet with my family on there and all my personal devices on there. And you can switch between those tailnets. It's pretty slick. And it's just kind of been one of those solutions that I started with and kind of thought I got it. And then as time went on, it started revolutionizing the way I work and now how the whole team works. And you can get it for free for up to 100 devices when you go to tailscale.com slash coder. And if you're an enterprise, there's a lot to love there. Not only will it snap in with your existing authentication infrastructure, but there's an ACL system that is comprehensive. And there's a lot of features in there that are really kind of next-level enterprise, and you don't have to have some big, complex, expensive proprietary VPN box to do it all. It makes it approachable for enterprises of all sizes and individuals. So go try it out and support the show at tailscale.com slash coder. Well, it is tech battle season. Um, There is multiple legal battles going down, and maybe the biggest is Google's antitrust trial that has just kicked off. Satya Nadella was a witness on behalf of the DOJ. He was testifying against Microsoft. And also Eddie Q showed up and uh, talked about their arrangement with Google on how it works with the iPhone. And uh, Nadella essentially said that we sunk oh, – well, he didn't say it like this, but this is what he said. If they spent about $100 billion trying to make Bing a thing and they still haven't been able to crack Google's search monopoly and their argument is – that Google has paid unbelievable sums of money to Apple and you know Firefox and others to ensure that Google is the default search, and that has prevented Bing from pulling ahead. And Sache was up there kind of giving it full barrels. Sache's not mad. You're mad, Chris. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. So there's a lot of weirdness in this trial, right? I think we should just kind of kind of preface. The judge has, I think, kind of extraordinarily allowed a level of secrecy that usually doesn't happen in this kind of litigation, which I got to say, it must suck to be the verge right now trying to get leaks and stuff. You don't have the treasure trove of documents like you did in the Microsoft one. But it's an interesting theory that, uh, that uh, the government is pushing. And it's weird how the bedfellows I feel like have kind of changed now where you know, Microsoft and Apple tend to be more buddy-buddy, right? Less competitive with each other. And Google and Apple tend to go after each other. And now, like, Apple's straight-up bear-hugging Google and saying, no, they're great. Like Eddie Q said that, quote, it's always been thought it was the best and that uh, that's why they're, they're, they haven't switched it. That's why they continue to take those billions from Google. And Eddie Q claimed there is no valid alternative for iPhone users. Which is just savage with the with the Bing people sitting in the room, right? Yeah. <laughs> the last uh, 60 minutes of uh, when Sache was uh, uh, um, testifying, the last 60 minutes went to Google's lawyer. And he just spent that hour pounding him, uh, including showing that they did uh, internal polling with Microsoft staff. And it showed that their mobile story, quote, sucks. Um, he went on about how the fact that Bing is, you know, not as good in different areas, and he got Sache to agree that, yeah, it's not necessarily competitive everywhere, but Sache's point was is that, you know, that we just don't have a shot here, and 
And the Google lawyer essentially said to him that, no, it's just that Bing sucks. It's their fault Bing hasn't pulled ahead, not Google's, and that it's not Google's fault that they haven't built a better product. So that's Google's defense. So you got – and you got Apple backing that up, saying there's no clear alternative, no valid alternative is what Eddie Q said. And you got Sache, who's blown $100 billion, well, Microsoft has, trying to get Bing you know, to the number one spot. Yeah, he's definitely got a dog in this hunt, and he's up there. He's up there uh, railing on him. It's it's really it's a it's interesting bedfellows all of a sudden with this case. Well, it's also strange that uh, I think it was Sacha himself. Like he got asked the question, and he just volunteers, which normally is something you don't do in a court proceeding, right? Volunteer information that like oh, also like AI, they're going to use this to screw us in AI. Yeah, which I yeah. mean. I got to give them credit. Like, they're just like, not only are we going to smack you in court, Google, or we're going to try, um, we're here for the next fight, right? It was so clear that Microsoft's whole, like, raison d'etre for even being there, other than being subpoenaed, or, you know, is they want to prevent Google from using its search monopoly, if you believe it's a monopoly. To becoming, uh, I guess, the AI. So I, I guess their bet is search is going to be... The entry, the funnel to AI. The, yeah. the funnel mm-hmm. to AI. So so instead of searching and getting web pages, maybe half the page will be like, you know, the Bing bot says, bada bing, right? Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Well, and they, they, have, they both are working on integrated AI responses when you search, and I hate both of their attempts so far. It's it's a funny argument because what Sache is really arguing is not just about current damages, but he's warning that if we don't take preemptive action, there could be future monopolistic damages that Google is able to take advantage of. You know, maybe he's right. I mean, you integrate it into Google Docs and Gmail and Google Search and Google Maps and YouTube, and <laughs> you're going to have probably the largest AI platform. And then the other thing that they're probably fe- feeling pretty insecure about is Microsoft's AI play is now all open AI. They kind of killed their internal projects, much to the chagrin of some of their internal staff, and they went all in on open AI, which is yeah, it's a shop they own like what forty nine percent of or something like that. But it's not their it's not their native tech. Yeah, where Go- what Google's working on is their own native tech. So that might be a point of insecurity as well. I don't like this kind of using the court system to compete because I really do think Google is a monopoly. But I think it is because it is the better search. And ironically, I think that's begun to shift. Just as now, finally, this antitrust battle is going down, Google's market share has slid a little bit thanks to the Bing AI stuff. And the market cap is also slid. We remember what a botch when they announced Bard at first it was. It, it really hit Google hard and it showed us that Google is actually vulnerable in the market. And their search results are also sucking more than ever, I have to say. Because I'm using DuckDuck and Bing and Google, all three of them now, to get what I need. And Googs is still the best, but it's it's declining. So it's so ironic that this moment has arrived when the market realities have just actually begun to shift. And Google has even – we've seen internal leaks showing that it's crapping its pants over this. A little late on the timing on this one. Well, it's, it's also weird how – are we entering a, a phase in the industry where – the big air arena of competition is actually like the regulatory arena and the courts. Oh, I think we're here. Yeah. I mean, that's why, yeah. that's why Sam, uh, both Bankman fraud and, uh, Altman 
went immediately to the regulations. You know, Mark Zuckerberg just again called for more regulations last week. You know, yeah, I think we're there. And let's not forget that the FTC is going after Amazon right now. Uh, It sounds like there's more going down between the EU and Apple after the whole USB-C thing just went down. And Apple is now requiring, per the Beijing government, to have developers register and license themselves before their apps can be published in the App Store. All of this is just going down in the last couple of weeks. Amazon's getting sued by the government. China's cracking down on the App Store in China. And the EU has more things they want. They, quote, want Apple to open up its gates to competitors, end quote. We are looking at a time where these massive nation-sized tech companies are essentially going to legal war with some of the biggest governments in the world. And it's multiple companies at once. And it's just wild to watch. It's, 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 there's so much happening all at once, it's actually kind of hard to track it all. I'm putting links in the notes to help people. It's strange, too, because I, I, I feel like the USB-C thing, well, you know, everybody made a big deal. It, it was inevitable, right? It probably would have just been next year. Um, but the, the idea of Apple opening the App Store, I, I feel like that's their, like, they're going to fight that. It's just too much money. Tonight. Yeah, it is. It is the long-term revenue plan for the iPhone. Yeah, I can't. I can't. I could. I mean, it depends on the market size, but I, in some small markets, they. I would absolutely expect them to just remove the App Store <laughs> before they allow that. Oh no, I, I think like if so, the market I'm thinking of is the EU, right? I, I'm pretty sure. Like we already saw it, right? I don't know if you saw the news today. Apple caved on some of China's uh, App Store requests. Uh, regarding yeah, the registration of, and the licensing. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. You just mentioned that. Um, but I think when it comes to like adding third-party app stores or allowing uh, charging outside of the app store, they're going to go to the mattresses on that. Yeah, this is going to be one to watch. This is all, especially the, the the Google antitrust case, it had such massive ramifications for Microsoft and it took so long to play out. And Microsoft was fundamentally altered and neutered for a while as a company. And now ironically... We see them participating in the exact same proceedings more than a decade later against another competitor of theirs, <laughs> which is – oh, it's a special kind of irony, I think. There's a special taste to that one. Mm. I want to thank the Coder QA crew out there who is uh, signing up at CoderQA.co to support the show directly. You also get an ad-free version of the show and you get the Coderlies. We'll probably have another one coming up in a little bit, maybe a holiday-themed one, I'm thinking. And I'm very pleased, and ironically so, to see that we got, it's been a while, our first legitimate JB acquisition interest email, where there is an active partner with a law firm that is interested in buying JB. I used to get a few of these a year, but then the market crashed. And I feel like this is good. This is a good sign almost. Uh, is Is it tempting? Not really. I mean, a tiny bit just because money's really tight right now and daddy needs a new roof. <laughs> but only a tiny bit tempting. Wait, uh, is, is it like a crypto betting company for fantasy football? Oh, God, I hope. I, I hope it's L football. Though. I will I like admit, I did email them back and ask them who the interested party is. Oh, uh, it's one of the, I, you know, I keep, and I'm not going to say the name, I keep getting a private equity firm yeah. at, uh, over in Orlando. It's just like desperate to buy me out. And I don't know why. I know. I used to get a couple of these at least, you know, a yeah. year, maybe a few a year. And I haven't gotten any this year. This is the first one. It's exciting in a way. It's like, oh, somebody's interested in me again. I've been noticed. Isn't it like you're, you're like the girl who got like two guys to ask her out for yeah. prom? Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> but you know what? 
We're not doing that. Thank you to our members so that way we can keep the show going even during the ad winter or when we get tempting emails. And of course, thank you to everybody who also supports each production by boosting in with a new podcast app or by getting Albie at getalbie.com and then coming to the podcast index. We really, really appreciate that support. It does keep us going. And when you boost, a portion of that goes to Editor Drew, goes to the network, goes to myself, it goes to some developers. They all It all goes into the kitty for the network too, which helps finance production, hosting, and the host and all of that. So it's a fantastic way to support and get your message read on the show. Ask not what your podcast can boost for you, but what you can boost for your podcast. And we don't have a ton of boosts this week because we only recorded five days ago. So if you don't hear your boost read, that's because there's only been a short period of days in between recording sessions, but we will catch you in the next one. Our baller this week is double duplex with 95,000 sats. Coming in using fountain.fm, he says, I'm sending you guys some value for the hard work recently. It sounds like the recording schedule has been a bit wild. I'm grateful the show hasn't missed a beat. Um, Thank you. Uh, double duplex. Yeah, it has been a little a little crazy. Uh, he says, you guys have been so focused on regulations that force developers to register. But did you catch that Canada is doing the same for podcasters? <laughs> did you hear about this, Mike? Podcasters? Yeah, I, I don't actually really know what to believe on all of this. To register for what? Uh, with the government. What? Yeah, yeah, this is, uh, but I think it's it's more focused at larger operations, like People that earn ten million or more annually, um, they have to register with the Canadian government by November twenty eighth. So is it like a tax thing? Nope, nope. It's uh, they just want to make sure that Canadian broadcasting is inclusive, that it features enough Indigenous Canadian content, and that minority what? voices are featured. But how is that your problem? If you want to start a podcast, they're going to say, "Oh, I'm sorry, there's too many white chicks or white guys. You can't, you can't do it." Here's what they say on the. Uh, I think it's like the CRTC. Here's what they say on their website. Quote, we are developing a modern broadcasting framework that can adapt to changing circumstances. To do that, we need broad engagement and robust public records. We appreciate the significant participation during this first phase and look forward to hearing a diversity of perspectives at our contributions proceeding in November. November. So uh, social media services must register, but individual users don't unless they make more than $10 million. Uh, any online service that offers podcasts must register. Um, but if you're a podcaster that doesn't make $10 million, it doesn't sound like you will have to, but it's not clear at this point. Um, they'll have a, they have a whole list of services that have to register. Is this like a wise use of the Canadian government's money? <laughs> I mean, what do, you, what do you care if some dudes want to make a podcast? And then, you know, more power if other people want to do it. Too. Like, there's all kinds. Of, is it like one of the richest podcasts that, uh, that, it's by that woman. I forgot her name. Uh, it's got it's got that weird name, Daddy or something. But they're actually oh right, women. yes, yes, I, yeah, yeah. Something like, they make like tens of millions of dollars. Yeah, or, or look at great. Rogan, right? Like Rogan made Rogan, like three hundred right. mil on his Spotify deal. So I, 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 I mean, maybe the Canadian government should boost into some podcasts so it's much cheaper, better <laughs> use of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll, I'll I'll feature Ubisoft Montreal on Game Radio every week, and we can get some of their developers on Coder. They're do deal made. There you I'm go. on fire this week. Chris. It's easy. Really no red tape needed. <laughs> uh, Altair the Blue comes in with 45,000 sats. Make it so. Using Fountain. He says, no message, though, but I do have a silly limit from GPT. Oh, in, no. In podcasting 2.0, there is value for value. With crypto, it's quite a rave. Listeners pay with delight for content that is just right, and podcasters all cheer and wave. 
That's actually not bad. It, so- it sounds like something if you're like locked in a wicker cage and there's like a little, you know, like, yeah. like Rumpelstiltskin looking dude. He's like, I will let you out if you can solve my limerick, my friend. And then you, uh, suckers! Or Sam Bakeman freed. I yeah. mean, whatever. Right? I don't like calling Bitcoin crypto. I don't like it's a digital asset. You see, Bitcoin's a digital asset. It's not crypto. It's a digital asset. Are, are you going to go visit him in the Bronx? <laughs> I would like to give him a piece of my mind to tell you what. Oh, the prison's going to be tough for him. Oh, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Apparently he won't eat. He only eats peanut butter and bread because he's... He's a vegan. Yeah, so, um, yeah, tech hipsters that are more hipster than me. Uh, Prison, not the place for your your weird diets. Yeah. Yeah. Prison food doesn't have a great rep as it is. I don't think you get to be picky. John A. comes in with 25,000 sats. Uh, just trying to help with the boost goal. Thank you, John A. We did need it this week because it was a shorter production. And Mick Zip also came in with 20,000 20, sats, but uh, no message there coming in with Castomatic. But thank you, Mick Zip. We appreciate the support. And then the gig came in with a little row of ducks. Just says, appreciate you guys. Thanks, the gig. Thank you, everybody who did boost in. Like I said, it was a shorter run week. So we had six boosters, and we stacked 188,222 sats, which is not bad for a short run. Thank you, everybody who supports this production. Don't forget, if you want to check out a new podcast app, we do have the Office Hours feeds, which is a full-fledged app that has all kinds of cool features. And we have the new Jupiter Station live feed, where you can listen to the live stream in your podcast app without having to switch apps. There's some of the other advantages, of course. When you get a new podcast app, you can boost in, too. If you want to keep your app, just get Albie at getalby.com and then boost us from the index. We got links in the notes. And of course, thank you to our members and everybody who listens to the show and shares it. That's why we call it a value for value production. If you get some value from it, you send some value back and it keeps us going. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you want to send the good people this week? Any wise words? Uh, yeah, go to at Dumanuka on Weapon X <laughs> and uh, check out Alice.dev. I will finally, finally have this new th- version launched. Oh, that's exciting. Should be by Halloween, unless something crazy. It's, uh, you know what? There's always, you, you you think you're there and then it's like, oh, actually, wait. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's a lot of that. <laughs> it's yeah. a lot of that. So I said Halloween, it's probably Christmas. We'll see. Well, I'll plug the Matrix. Of course, this show's chat room is coder.show slash Matrix. The chat room goes all week. Give your feedback in there and you can join us for a live show because we do notify that room. And there's a whole bunch of other shows over at jupiterbroadcasting.com you can check out. Links to what we talked about today are coder.show slash 538. You'll find our contact form there as well as our RSS feed so you can get it when we release. And last but not least, you're welcome to join us live on Mondays. Nope, Tuesdays. That's right, Tuesdays now at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, over at jblive.tv. Couldn't be easier. Thanks so much for joining us. See you right back here next week.